hoping to be screaming child free this week. Welcome to Hand of Pop. Episode 442 of Hand of Pod. We've got another formation episode. Indeed. I think the last one would have been 352. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Four, oh no, 433. 433. So nine episodes ago, in fact, but I didn't mention it then. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined by English Dan. Hello. Now, neither of us have seen very much football since we last recorded. Or, a, we, have or we have, and we can't remember any of it because it wasn't very good. Yeah, That's also a possibility. We've both watched some matches, but this yes. is going to be a bit of an update and possibly not a particularly long episode. Um, but the scores since we last recorded, you will recall from last, week, last week's episode, um, and we'll have worked out when I tell you that we're recording this on Thursday evening, that we have played all of one round and most of another round of matches since we last recorded. So the results have been Barracas Central 1, Gimnasia 1. That one had already happened when we last recorded, but was the first match of round 22. And then since we recorded, Tigre 3, Aldo CD 0, Estudiantes 2, Colón 4, Union 0, Newells 1, Racing 4, Rosario Central 3, Central Córdoba 0, Sarmiento 0, Platense 0, Defensa y Justicia 0, San Lorenzo 1, Huracán 0 in the Clásico, Banfield 1, Godoy Cruz 1, Arsenal 0, Independiente 1, Patronato 2, Atlético Tucumán 1, big result in the title race there, mm-hmm. Boca 1, Vélez 0, big result in the title race there, Tacheres 0, Lanús 1, and Argentinos 0, River 3. And in the midweek round, or what's been played of it so far, we have had Rosario Central 1, Union 1, Aldo Civi 2, Barracas Central 0, Newells 0, Arsenal 0, Godoy Cruz 0, San Lorenzo 0, Sarmiento 2, Tigre 2, Vélez 1, Banfield 0, Colón 1, Patronato 0, Atletico Tucumán 2, Platense 1, big result in the title race. Mm-hmm. Defensa y Justicia 3, Racing 3. Independiente. Are you not going to say big result in the title race? Potentially big result in the title race. Uh, we will go on to why it might have been a fatal result in the title race for Racing, but for a refereeing decision that, in fact, was the correct one in the end. Um, in a couple of minutes. Independiente 1, Central Cordoba 2, River 5, Estudiantes 0. Lanús uh, versus Argentinos is currently underway and Argentinos, as I was reading out these scores, have just taken a 1-0 lead. And Huracán versus Tacheres, which is the match we have had on the TV until Dan heard me say that and switched over, uh, is 0-0 at half-time. Lanús versus Argentinos, for some reason, that I'm not privy to because I spent most of this half on my bike riding over here, uh, has had eight minutes of stoppage time added and we are currently halfway through the first of those minutes. There's been a red card 
So that might have something to do with it. Yes. A, VAR, a couple of VAR breaks, maybe. And um, we'll keep you up to date with the, both of those anyway as we go on. And what we won't keep you up to date with uh, is the other big match in the title race, which is Gimnasia versus Boca, which begins... Uh, I'm going to take a guess and say, you know, I, I'd like to say hopefully after we finish recording, but Please, realistically God, yeah. it might very well be just as, you know, <laughs> we're wrapping up or... Uh, a little bit before we finish recording the extra or something later. Um, so obviously, with the caveat that Boca, at the time of recording, have a match in hand, the current league leaders are Atletico Tucumán with 44 points. Boca are on 42. They were uh, top of the league when the whole of round 22 had been played before round 23 kicked off, uh, thanks to Atletico losing to Platense. Um, Racing are now third. So Atletico Tucumán have 44 points, Boca have 42, Racing have 41. And we're going to, I think, in terms of our editorial line, say that that's where we think that the title race uh, is going to end now. It's going to be one of those three teams. Uh, there are four matches to go and Riber, And as the other match uh, that's just gone to half time currently stands, Huracan, are both on 38 points. Um, I mean, I guess if Huracan win that then they go to 40 so we'd have to consider them as well but it's kind of unlikely to see them overturn it's a tough one yeah River uh, have played themselves into form helped by of course a horrific week for Estudiantes who lost 4-2 and then 5-0 since we last yes so not the Estudiantes way at all um, River have scored 8 without reply against Argentinos and Estudiantes um, mm -hmm. and have looking at this what River ought to consider a fairly kind run in the away to Patronato, a home to Platense, a home to Central, and then of course for most other teams in the league, away to Racing would be uh, a very tricky fixture. But River versus Racing head to head, we've mentioned many times how one sided <laughs> that particular uh, match sometimes ends up being. Absolutely. So if if River can keep winning and any of the teams above them drop points, it could happen. But realistically, the way that Boca and Atletico Tucumán are going. At it, hammer and tongs against each other at the moment. Mm. Uh, I find it difficult to imagine both of them, and also Racing, dropping enough points for, for River to, to be up there. Um, yes, absolutely. Down. Now, we'll start off with the uh, matches that both of us have paid the most attention to mm -hmm. collectively between the two of us, which of course will be the two Racing matches that you were watching throughout yeah, and were glued to, and that, uh, apart from anything else also, contained a mere 13 goals between them. Um, 13 goals, yes. yes and there, there was a 4-3 win over Rosario Central and a 3-3 draw with Defensa mm. y Justicia. And if you include Brighton's draw at the weekend uh, against Liverpool, that was 19 goals I've, got, I've seen in the three game, last few games of football I've watched, which I've really cared about. Mm. How many uh, hat-tricks? None, I think. Well, Trossard's got a hat-trick. Oh, Trossard got a hat-trick for Brighton, and I think that was about it. Alcaraz, um, Mikiel, Romero, Moreno for Racing against Central, yeah. and there wasn't a hat-trick against Defensive DC, was it? It was Rojas, Mikiel, and Moreno again. Oh, so they all got two goals in two matches. Yeah, a couple of repeat scorers, but no one scored more than a single goal in any of the games. And Enzo Copetti didn't get any, which is unusual for yeah. Racing this year. He was out on... Friday with a tummy bug, and he came back on Wednesday, yesterday, yes, um, and didn't do a whole lot. Quick question, yeah. pre-Enzo Copetti. Okay. 
the answer to this question has to be yes, right? It's, I mean, it's semi-rhetorical, but I, I tuned into kind of the last 10 or so minutes of Defensio Dicia Villa Racing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw quite a lot of arguing, for reasons that, that you'll explain to us in a minute, uh, of Racing players arguing with the referee around the time of the VAR check. Right. Um, and it looked to me like Copetti's surname on the back of his shirt was written in Comic Sans. Yes, it was. But the other players... It's written in a proper font that isn't Comic Sans. <laughs> yes, this was part of a, some campaign. I think it was um, something to do with autism. Oh, okay. Uh, let me just... I wonder whether I was seeing things, but I, it, they kept showing it again, and I kept checking it and thinking, it does look like it's in a different timeface to the rest of the players. Yes. Right, I've written in Coete Vamiseta Letra. Let's see if Google can understand <laughs> that. Yes, Google. Wonderful. Solve even the problems my fat fingers. Uh, great. Why was Copetti's font different? Uh, ah, for month of di- of dyslexia. Dyslexic month. But oh, this there only this is just one player in the team who has this. They're not doing it for all the shirts. Yeah, I don't know if it's because Copetti's dyslexic. I don't That's know. Interesting. Or... I'm, I'm. I was genuinely expecting you to tell me I was imagining it. So I'm really quite pleased with myself for mm. noticing now. That I realise I had noticed it and I wasn't just making it up. No, they did it on the team sheet as well. Look, with Copetti. Oh yeah. Yeah, because apparently Comic Sans is easier for dyslexics to read. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember early in the earlier in the year, uh, Leonardo Sigali, who kind of. Really surprised a post-match interviewer. Yes. Um, by answering every question. I don't know. Sorry, I can't remember. Mm. Uh, did you have a good game? No, sorry, I can't remember. And that, and everyone thought he, you know, lost his mind. Um, and it about, and it turned out it was also part of a campaign to raise awareness for Alzheimer's in that case. So, oh, seems cool. to be something um, Racing are doing. I think if only they could pay a bit more attention to not fucking letting in goals. <laughs> Um, they, they let in four in total against Defensive DCF, but only three mm. of them actually counted. Uh, because the reason Turning for, point for the, game. the reason for that argument that I mentioned, in which I spotted this difference in typeface, um, was that from a racing corner, I think it might have been a wide free kick. I think. So sorry to interrupt you, but that's classic Sam Kelly. Everyone's in uproar about this very knife-edged decision. Will it go one way? Will it be a racing penalty? Will it be a defensive Cordicia goal four-two to put the game out of reach? Everyone's just hanging on this decision, and sounds thinking, "Look at that front. This is that's an interesting front. This is literally what makes me a good proof. It is Pete uh, Kelly, yeah. absolute Pete Kelly. So sorry. Yes. Anyway, um, from a racing, I think it was corner. Uh, the ball got played away. It was quite poorly defended. Watch the the goal Manchester United conceded in the Europa League earlier. The mm-hmm. first of them. Uh, and it was sort of similarly, similarly Calamity Jane style defending there. Um, except that, fortunately for Racing, it turned out that the ball had hit a defensive DC hand, I'm not sure whose, uh, pretty much when they regained possession. And so Gabriel Alanis, who was the ultimate goal scorer in this move, um, ended up having it cancelled. Mm-hmm. And the penalty got given to Racing because the handball in, in question had happened inside the box. Uh, which Emiliano Vecchio promptly, what did he do, Dan? He blazed it over the bar. Um, which is a shame because he has been absolutely carrying Racing for these last two absolutely insane matches. And in fact, got their first equaliser of the night, which was at 2 all. It basically went 
that Racing went 1-0 up. This was last night's game. Mm-hmm. Defensive Audicia hit back with two very quick goals, just as had happened on the Friday against Central. Uh, Racing managed not to concede a third in their stupid let's just not defend phase and hit back via Vecchio. The first two goals from Racing were really, really good, I must say. Mm. Uh, I need to have another breakdown in the second half to, I think it was the second half that Defensive Cordicia regained the lead. Yeah, and then, and yeah. In fact, the, the, the goal they went 3-2 up on and in, and then this goal that they had ruled out. Oh, it was with, again with it, yeah. Part as well, weren't they? So that was... I think so. Um, and then that turning point came, which luckily for Racing, even though Vecchio missed a penalty, um, they at least stayed within uh, one goal and Vecchio himself then stood up to float in the free kick which was headed in by Aníbal Moreno, his second vital-headed goal uh, in five days. Um, yeah, so it's been real fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants. Oh, because he scored the winner. Also, he scored the winner against Central. And, and both of them in stoppage yes, time as well. And then broke down in tears because he is a die-hard Newell's Old Boys fan from, from birth, really. Oh. And his mum had travelled in from Rosario to watch him in that game. Okay. So... If you see it, like just after the goal, he's taken off and just absolutely balling. He couldn't couldn't take any more. Um, yeah, it's been exciting week, probably too exciting. Um, luckily, uh, the next game up for Racing, another nice, nice, easy one. Atletico Tucumán at home. Only the chance to possibly go top of the table if yeah. Boca drop points tonight. So yeah, no pressure. Um, how about just trying to defend for a change? Um, not even that. Not not even just trying to defend. Just cutting out these 10, 15 minute spells where everyone just forgets how to get, play the game of football, especially at the back. It's absolutely um, staggering, really. Because uh, otherwise, they're just a fantastic team for us. And when they're in full flow, I don't know how much you saw the last two games, but when they start stringing the passes together, going forward, like... They're almost irresistible, but um, they just have this thing like they lose possession in in the middle of the pitch, and just no one's there to um, to clean it up. It's, yeah, it's bewildering. I know the feeling. I mean, um, it's almost like they just playing for nothing and thought, "Oh fuck it, we're gonna have a good time of it," rather than being fairly in the thick of a title race, which, as I said last week, they're not really in. So. No, it, it is quite strange how they've just suddenly conceded six goals in two matches mm. after really, I mean, for all of the switching off and conceding at vital moments that they've done in, in a few matches, they actually have had a pretty decent defensive record. Uh, it's quite recent, prior, yeah. At the time of our last recording, they haven't conceded more than one in a league match since the 22nd of August mm. when they lost 2-1 to San Lorenzo. But then Gabriel Arias in goals had a lot to do with that. Mm. Especially against Union, that game where they stationed another late comeback and and got the three points in agonising fashion. Um, he got through with some big saves right at the end. Um, so they just, I don't know, maybe they've sold the the TV rights and someone's going to make a film out of it, or it's going to be a Netflix series and they're just trying to make it as um, exhilarating as possible. Uh, just fucking pack it in. That must be it, mustn't it? I think so. Um, other matches since we last recorded, or other, I mean, the other teams that we have to talk about, of course, Atletico Tucumán. Losing 2-1 away to Patronato. If they don't end up winning the league, 
that's going to be the match they look back on, I suspect. You, uh, you think that would be a turning point, yeah. I saw certainly big bits of the second half. I don't think I watched the whole game. And it was really quite weird how at, was it level at half time? Yeah, it was 1-1 at half time. And you just kind of expect them to, you know, the team on top of the league, you're playing Patronato, mm. you're going to press on and you're going to play the football you've been playing all season and you're going to get the win. Uh, and midway through the second half, they let in, a, well, a, a third goal of the match, but a, a, a second goal for Patronato to give Patronato the 2-1 lead. And from that point, Atletico just did not look at all. Cl- I think they had one really, really big chance with mm. like almost the last touch of the game or something to equalise, if I remember rightly. But until that point, they just didn't look like they were going to get back into it. It was bizarre. No, you and, and you've got to put a bit more in because Patronato are absolutely fighting for their lives at the moment. Uh, every point counts so here at the bottom of the, the relegation table with only... Four games to go now, hmm. um, and they've actually been playing some fairly decent football recently under Facundo Sava. They got a couple of wins, been unlucky in a few in a few outings, um, and you can't give them anything. Like if you go one nil up, you've got to put them away, uh, especially if you're playing away because their home record's been pretty solid recently. Yeah, um, and I mean they of course a few days before they've had that big confidence boost that we talked about last week on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, of putting River out of the Copa Argentina on penalties after yeah. a draw, but that meant that they were sailing. You know, their their confidence was really high. But from Atletico Tucumán's point of view, you've it it just seemed so flat compared with you know not only with every other game that they'd played up until that point this season. Because at the time I was thinking, well, is this you know the wheels are coming off the title race now? And then they won again in midweek. You know, and yeah. they look back to their you know pretty much back to their best uh, from what I caught, which again wasn't the whole match. <laughs> Their um, last home defeat, game. sorry Sam, their last home defeat came all the way back in the seventh round uh, against Arsenal. Patronatos. Patronatos, yes. Uh-huh. And since then they've beat, they thrashed. Boca at home, they beat San Lorenzo at home, Platense, drew against Argentinos, drew against Central. Um, yeah, drew against Union. They've been very solid at home, yeah. Mm. And seems like, yeah, possibly a game Atletico took a bit lightly, you know, after... Some really good results. Uh, I think it's going to be too little, too late for for Patronato, to be honest. Although maybe they can get that third Grandes Cup uh, in the aforementioned, aforementioned game against River, mm. but it might not be enough. Um, they're quite a way behind still. Indeed, and of course the third team who are in the title race, or well, the second team, and by the time you hear this, they might be the first team in the title race again. Oh God, uh, Boca, who got. Yet another Boca style <laughs> 1-0 win at home to Belles Sarsfields in the Botman era. Uh, they were behind on pretty much every single statistic. Uh, including red cards. Yeah, not including possession. They, they won the, the ball 51-49, to 49, oh, it says here. That says 50-50 on Bromidas. It's near enough the same thing really, isn't it? You just have to see how uh, the percentage is split, like the decimals. Yep. Uh, they had only one man sent off to Vélez's two, both right at the end when the result was pretty much certain anyway. Uh, but the one statistic, if you can call it a statistic, the one count that really matters, of course, is how many goals he scored. And Indeed. Boca Juniors, especially in the Bombon era, uh, especially in the last... I mean, they suffered that really heavy defeat to Banfield back near the start of the league's campaign, didn't they? But, you know, it just doesn't feel like they could see goals anymore. 
basically and, since because they Sergio, don't basically. since Sergio Romero signed um, and has not played no and, they, and he won't they, for the rest of the year they conceded one in the 2-1 win over Atletico Tucumán of course which was on the 28th of August and other than that their last goal conceded in the Bombonera was absolutely ages ago oh no it wasn't it was the, yeah the 6th of August against Platense um, two months ago 1-0 that, same score they beat uh, Godoy Cruz by. Of their last one, two, three, four, five league matches, uh, there have been four 1 0 wins for Boca and one 0 0 draw against Huracan. Incredible. For so- somehow, in between all of that, against second division Quilmes in the Copa Argentina, <laughs> a five goal through. Yeah. <laughs> Which they still managed to get through. So basically, it doesn't really matter what kind of football you play against Boca. Uh, they're probably going to beat you 1-0. Uh, it's almost certain, yeah. And that is, on the one hand, you know, it's difficult for the neutrals to say that we actually enjoy watching it. And of course, last week we made the point that uh, we're very much going to be sticking up for Atletico Tucumán uh, in the title race, or of course in Dan's case, Racing, if they do uh, manage to get up there. But also, I, I do think that there is you know, something... To, to be admired about it as well. Oh, absolutely, when, when you're yeah. You're capable of just grinding those results out. And yeah. the, the weird thing for me is that when I watch Boca now, they are playing much better football than they were at the start of the season. Even yeah, though they're, they're not actually scoring very many goals. There has been a change since uh, Batalla left and Hugo Ibarra took over. Is, uh, is he still interim? Or has he been given, like, at least... I'm sure he's been given to the end of the year because there's only, like, three games left and he's still in charge. Yeah. Um, maybe not a change in as much as strategy, tactics, player style, but at least just you know bringing a bit more life into this team. And um, you know, I think what he's done really well is to bring through these youngsters who pretty much every Boca game you have to Google a new one because the um, the match-winning goal comes from some 19-year-old who you never never heard of before. Javier Morales against Vélez. I've got Gonzalo Morales here. There you go. Yeah. He is 19. Yeah. Uh, so we were right about that. Then Lucas, Luca Langoni, who mm-hmm. I think I called Lucas last week. Um, he's come through about three match-winning goals, I think, in the in the last six or seven games. Uh, Alan Varela's been there a bit a bit more, but still fairly new. And then on the bench as well, guys like uh, Brandon Cortez. Uh, and Gab- Gabriel Aranda, centre back. Gabriel well, Aranda, as well as, it's just not yeah. Seen. It's interesting because you know we always associate more uh, River with bringing through these young players and having you know the homegrown core. Hmm. But Boca have been doing it, uh, especially since Ibarra took over. Instead of just filling their team with crap overpaid uh, twenty-eight, thirty-somethings, <laughs> Riaco. Um, and it seems to be working for him. Yeah. Um, of course, they're playing Gimnasia later. We can't fill you in on how that's gone because it's not gone yet. Uh, I will try and remember to give you the score after the theme music at the very end of the episode. So It's almost certain to be a 1-0 Boca win. I you mean, would think so, wouldn't you? I mean, if anybody, 80% sure. I'm just wondering what kind of... Gimnasia's form has dropped off so much. Like, if this had been being played a month, month and a half ago, it yeah. would have been like, oh, this is going to be a juicy one. Like, probably not very high scoring, but yeah. it should be an interesting game because both of them were, were quite high up then. But um, then by the same... But now, Gimnasia's last three matches have been defeat to Central Cordoba, defeat to Tigre, both 1-0, mm. 
and then a 1-1 draw with Barracas Central. That's not the form of title challenges anymore. But by the same token, it's a game that Kimnasi could definitely win because they're now completely out of the title race. No chance whatsoever of winning. And this is the kind of thing they would do to win it just to leave them tantalisingly close and think, oh, if we just hadn't dropped them stupid points, we could have been right up there. Yeah, if, if they win this, uh, they win it, then by the time this goes online, this episode, they will be fourth uh, on, or, or possibly fifth, depending on what Laura can do, of course, in their second half, which is about to kick off. Do you want to change the channel stack? It's going to kick off a long time before this second half on account of all the time in this match. Um, Indeed. Oh, it has kicked off five minutes ago. Yeah. Um, also, while we've been talking about the other matches, Argentinos took a 2-0 lead against Lanús from the penalty spot, and they also then uh, had a chipped attempt on goal from somebody or other from about the halfway line, which was chested down by Diego <laughs> in the Lanús goal. Such uh, was the underhittedness of the shot. Uh, that's a sentence that almost made sense, so I'm going to give myself a point back for it. Um, Okay, other big matches. I guess we should start talking now. Has enough of the season gone by that we can discuss the relegation running? I think it probably has, hasn't it? I think so. I think we can. We should mention one team in particular. We've already this is talked always about. assuming, of course, that there is actually relegation at the end of this year, which Ended. still ridiculously uh, might not happen. Yeah. But sorry, Dan, I've interrupted you. Obviously, uh, I think we should talk about one of the form teams in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, completely un. Unheralded and unexpected, Central Córdoba. They beat yeah. Independiente last night, and now I think they've won something like their last five games or five of the last six games. And this is probably going to be enough to to get them out of the relegation shit. Four of the last five. Four of the last five. Draw against Sarmiento, but in the others they've beaten Godoy Cruz, Gimnasia, Aldo Sibi. Yeah. Draw against Sarmiento, and then as you say, beat, uh, beat Independiente last night. And that's come from absolutely nowhere because they were lost adrift. I remember back in July when they when they hosted Racing, um, it was the first game I think of the Abel Balbo slash I want to say Julio Lamas, the basketball coach era. Mm-hmm. Um. And they looked absolutely awful, but credit to him that since then he's put together seven wins in in twelve matches. Which you know, when you're not probably going to win the league with that kind of form, or maybe you could, but he's definitely got them out of relegation trouble when uh, they looked absolutely, absolutely, absolutely condemned. Yeah, they were bottom or second bottom like five matches ago. Yeah, uh, and now they're twenty second out of twenty eight with. Well, almost far closer to 1.2 points per game than they are to 1.1 points per game. They've got 1.173. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, this this feels like the first time I've looked at the relegation table in a season in which it's been live mm-hmm. for a while, uh, and nobody has had fewer than a point a game. Back when we were there was still relegation happening before yeah. COVID hit, there was always one team at about this point in in the season who were not mathematically certainly relegated with four or five matches mm. left but who had such a massive uphill struggle because they were not on like point, yeah. <laughs> 0.98 points per game or something and bottom of the league at the moment of the relegation league at the moment are Patronato who are on 1.02 
Ronaldo. City have 1.03. That, that, mm. Those are the two in the relegation zone. Since it has been such a long time since anybody was relegated from the top division in Argentina because of COVID and the fact that relegation has been frozen for two years, we will just remind you, or if you've come to Argentine Football Podcasts recently, and by recently I mean at any point in the last two and a half years, <laughs> then welcome on board uh, the relegation system in Argentina. Uh, we've got time to do this because we've been playing off attention to the league football um, uh, in the last couple of rounds, so we may as well give you this explanation. Uh, works with, only in the top flight now, this used to be in all divisions, but now yes. it's just in the top flight, uh, we take the number of points that each team has accumulated in the last in each of the last three seasons. And if you weren't in your current division for the last three seasons consecutively, then you just get no points and no matches recorded for, you know, say right now it would be for the 2020 season. Mm-hmm. For example, if you were promoted at the end of the 2020 season and so you've got just, just this season and last season in there. Um, and you divide it by the number of matches played in that time. So to pick a few uh, examples, if you look at the relegation table in Argentina at the moment, which is based on the 2020, the 2021, sorry, the 2020 league campaign, mm-hmm. the 2021, whole just the, the league, right? No, I think it's the whole year. Oh, it must be, yeah, with that number of points, actually. Yeah. 2021, um, Copa de la Liga group stage and the whole of the league campaign and this year the Copa de la Liga group stage and the whole of the league campaign uh, the team top of that table at the moment are River uh, they have 189 points from 99 matches and that means that their points per game average is 1.909 mm-hmm. Boca second with a points per game average of 1.867 uh, to give you an example of how this works, though, Tigre are currently eighth. They got promoted into the top flight at the beginning of this year. So they have no matches and no points, obviously, for either 2020 or 2021. But so far this year, they've accumulated 54 points from 37 matches, mm-hmm. which puts them on 1.459, so just under a point and a half uh, per game. I'm trying to look down for other teams who've not played the full three seasons. But Barracas Central, Central, 47 points from 37 matches. Could get dragged into the relegation zone, but it would at this stage, this late in the season, it would require a very big drop off. Um, they're in twentieth. Sarmiento are in twenty third and need to be looking over their shoulders a bit, but there are probably too many teams below them for them to be really in danger. Uh, they didn't play in twenty twenty, so they've got the twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two seasons uh, counting towards them. They have eighty seven points from seventy five matches, and also with just these last two seasons are Platense, who are in the relegation battle. They're 25th, so they're just two points, uh, two positions yeah. above the relegation zone. They've got a total of 86 points from 75 games. So, so at this point, uh, four teams could probably still go down. Yeah, I, I mean, Godoy Cruz probably just about too far in front, aren't they? They're, they're on 140. Well, they're, the, they're the 12 easiest. points ahead of Adelosivi with 12 points to the sake. Adelosivi aren't going to win. All four of their games. This is the easiest way for, for newcomers. The easiest way to, to judge it really is, as Dan's just done, to look at how many matches played and mm. points uh, the team at the top of the relegation zone has got and then look for the first team up uh, who've played the same number of matches and who are too far ahead to be caught or just about too far ahead to be caught. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be Platense Arsenal, Aldo Civio Patronato, realistically, but Sarmiento, who are above Godoy Cruz in the table, if they lose all their matches, 
because they're divided them by fewer points, and if everybody else wins more, they could still drop in there. So it's not completely certain. No. It's very confusing. Hopefully, this might be the last year this is the case in, because, as I said, back in 20, I think it was 2019, or was it 2018, the lower divisions all got rid of this system and are now just relegating teams based on actual performance in you know, the season. Yes. Controversial so idea. Crazy. Rarely thought of in much yeah. of the rest of the world, but who knows, it might just work. Yeah. Um, it's like, on top of having the ridiculous situation of having 28 teams in the top flight, you're also not judging them on how they played in that mass, you know, mm. among so many teams. Like, you say the team that finished 27th and 28th of any league over the course of a year should probably go down. Exactly, yeah. Do you know who it would be? Right now, right now, I do. Yeah, if it was at the league table. Ah, uh, sorry, uh, the the, uh, the yeah. annual, annual table. table. Yeah, yes. why, why don't you tell us that? But both of whom incidentally have less than one point a game this year. Oh. And Lucivi and Lanús. Mm. Horrible year for Lanús. So maybe for maybe Phil Carney's been been lobbying for a one year extension to Pro Promedios. I don't know. Yeah. Just to keep Lanús with their head above the water. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I guess a Lanús fan would argue this is the beauty of the Promedios because Lanús shouldn't be punished for one bad year. But then, of course, they'd say that because they're Lanús fans. Logic would dictate, well, you have a bad year, you go down. Yeah. Um, I am sympathetic, if only because the Primera Nacional is such a fucker to get out of afterwards. You know, with 40 teams in it and only one automatic promotion spot. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, the, the whole system, the whole court is out of order. Yeah. That's what I was saying. I'd, I'd, I'd still, I mean, I, I can't wait for the day when they eventually axe the Prometheus, <laughs> but I'm not going to hold my breath. Um, no. We also, of course, it does mean that we have a chance to look at who's going to be struggling next year in the Prometheus, <laughs> because we already know, you know, all that happens is that the 2020 season stops counting. And you count 2021, 2022, and 2023. So if, yes. if, the, if this season had ended right now um, and we were starting going into next year's season, Arsenal would be bottom with less than one point a game. Mm. Um, and Patronato would be second bottom, Aldo would be third bottom. So it's difficult to suggest, really, that you know those are the three bottom teams at the moment in a different order. Um, the four as well with Badensi. Yes, of course, yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, they've been so consistently bad, all four of them. It's tricky. Whereas um, Godoy Cruz for instance, are, are down in 24th thanks to an absolutely disastrous 2020 season. Yes. But once 2020 gets wiped, they jump up to 15th in the table. Mm. So, there you go. Anyway, uh, after that explanation, I think it's time to let everybody absorb it. You can rewind um, seven minutes or so if you're a new listener and you want to hear all that explanation again and let us know whether we could have explained it a little bit more clearly. I think that was a pretty good explanation. We're not to get through. We're going to take a half-time break and uh, refill our glasses, so don't go away. Break, I looked up at the television and noticed that Urakan at some point while we were talking 
had gone 1-0 up against Tacheres. That is still the score, 24 minutes into the second half. Have uh, we written them off too, too quickly? Probably. As it currently stands, therefore, Huracan are fourth in the table on 40 points, just four points behind league leaders Atletico Tucumán, possibly five points behind league leaders Boca by the time you yeah. are listening to this, of course. Again, continue listening right to the very end and you'll get the Boca score and I'll give you a very quick rundown of the title contenders um, when that happens. Uh, Dan, any ideas yes. what we can talk about for the second half of this podcast? What can we talk about? Now, we were hoping to have... Sorry, having asked you for ideas, mm-hmm. here's an idea of my own. Um, we were hoping to have Santi here with us this evening to discuss... Um, you know, you, you might have heard there's been quite a big election in South America since we last recorded. Yes, absolutely. Um, the Independiente presidential <laughs> election has taken place and there was a winner. And we know... I mean, I'm assuming Dan knows about as much as I do uh, about the guy who's won it. La Nación Más presenter Fabian Doman. Oh, I didn't realise he was a La Nación uh, worker. Yep. But, um, yeah, I know his name, and I know that he is not Moshano, who, of course, was not standing. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us anything more, Dan, than than the vast amount of knowledge I've just spewed onto the microphone? Um, I can say that he wants, apparently, Diego Martinez of Tigre to be their next coach if slash when Julio Falcioni says that he doesn't want to carry on for another year ah yes he's, he's, that's one thing I did say actually that he's given he said that Falcioni they'll, they'll see how results go early on but that he personally isn't a big fan of the style mm. of football that Independiente have been playing uh, he says that he is not affiliated to Pro Mauricio Macri's um, political party is there any particular reason he's had a reason to say that to people? Because La Nación Mas is the most disgustingly, openly mm. pro-Macri television channel. And indeed the whole La Nación setup is just so skewed towards Macri. Yeah, so almost not be funny anymore. Some of our listeners are probably aware that La Nación is uh, one of the more, maybe the most... Uh, sort of old-fashioned conservative uh, media outlets in Argentina. Um, Which these last four years in, have just yeah. veered towards virulent macrism. Exactly. Is that a word? Macrism? Well, no. Yes, it would be, wouldn't it? It's mac- macrismo. Yeah. And, and because uh, he has two pro uh, heavyweights on his uh, directorship. Uh, okay. Nesto Grindetti, who is the mayor of Lanús. Uh-huh. And Cristian Retondo, who is currently a congressman and was previously the Minister of Security under Maria Eugenia Vidal. I see. So there's a big, there's a, there's a big pro smell about it, let's say. Doman doesn't have anything to do with pro. Hmm. I mean, he's not affiliated, he's a journalist who speaks very badly of the current government and not as badly at all about the previous Awful government. Methinks he doth protest too much. Yes, uh, he said in an interview with La Nación <laughs> um, that Nestor and Christian are there because they are independent fans and they'd still be there if they were Communist Party members. Of course they would. So I take that as a, 
as you will. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. Um, oh, you also got uh, a congratulation message from Patricia Burrich, uh, who is an independent fan as well. So getting less and less. Congratulations, Santi, for having that fan, and yeah. also Horacio Rodriguez Larreta, who is actually oh, okay, who yeah, is yeah. a Racing fan and the son of a former Racing president. And the pro mayor of Buenos Aires. The prime mayor of the city of Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, after Moshana, I think up to a point, yeah, I can see where he's coming from. You know, Moshana has had varying political allegiances over the last few years. He was sort of close to Macri when he was about to take over as president and then became virulently anti Macri when it became clear just what a fuck up. His government was making of the economy. It's, it's, um, he's been precisely the sort of, um, you know, principled uh, leader of, of one of the country's biggest unions that, that you'd want, really. Yeah. And in every, and that's, in case it's not clear, I'm being very heavily sarcastic when I say that. Yeah. Um, but let's get one thing straight. Moshano ended up shitting the bed at Independiente because he shit the bed. Yeah. He oversaw a really terrible administration. Um, one which you know he helped bankroll, of course, because through all his links with the uh, the union movement and kind of the businesses associated with the union movement, and then when the money ran dry, um, that was it. Mm. Uh, so we can say you know Moshano didn't do a bad job because he was a union leader or Peronist, just because he turned out to be a terrible administrator and Doman won't do a terrible job just because he has extremely intimate links to pro. No, no. It's, um, uh, it'll all come down to whether, you know, he can sort things out. And I must be honest, uh, it's not going to be easy. Um, he's not even... I can't see how he would have that... Even that first initial boost that Moshano had, which was the injection of all these lovely trucker funds or God knows what went in there in his first years in charge. Hmm. Um... I don't know where the money's going to come from now. And uh, Independiente, like all clubs in Primera División, need money, but probably even more money because they've got thousands of open court cases for breach of contract and embargoes. And, yeah, there are and various uh, deals that they've had to do or, or are having to do right now with um, at least one player's unpaid transfer fee to an MLS club I can't remember which player it was but somebody in their current squad that they've not finished paying for yet um, yeah. there's another former Independiente player who in particular in, I mean of, of several but there's one in particular whose wages are a big sticking point I can't remember names here obviously which is why I'm being vague mm-hmm. um, yeah they've, they've got a lot of that sort of sorting out to do I also always wonder with Independiente because this institutional mess has been going on for a while but in particular since Julio Comparada was in charge mm-hmm. um, what whether we know by which I mean whether you know uh, what the new director's policies are vis-a-vis the Barra Brava I don't think they had anything more in their mind than we're not Mashana. You should vote for us for that reason. Yeah. Just to change the subject somewhat, Nisto Grindetti is the third on the right of this picture. Tell me he doesn't look like an albino Bond villain. By which you mean a Bond villain? Yes. That's precisely the sort of... Um... Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, that's a very round head. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, completely devoid of any kind of defining feature. Mm. And yet, because of that, full of defining features, paradoxically. Yeah. Uh, next some wash to Ritonda, who recently has just been um, accused by a judge of having all sorts of dark connections with... Uh, with drug traffickers and whatnot. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's been accused by a judge of having all sorts of defining features. Um, I mean, his defining <laughs> feature is that he looks like someone who lives hard and plays hard. Indeed, yeah. Works hard and plays hard, sorry. Yeah. Um, yes, and then Juan Marconi is another journalist and definitely looks like he, wha- he gets his chest waxed on a very regular basis that's the guy on the left isn't it that's the guy on the left yes, yes. <laughs> I mean it wouldn't be any of the other four to be fair. no indeed or if it is I would be very surprised <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with having your chest waxed on a regular no. basis so good luck to Independiente and since we started on this subject there's been movement in the Colombo room as well I can't remember if we mentioned this last week I think we did did we about the uh, Abrete the squeeze on the on the fir- the Cologne first team squad from the Barra. Yes. And then you, it you came out. About yes. It, yeah. That um, that some directors were um, were incarcerated because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, they've already been to trial and pled guilty. It was possibly. Quick. It was really quick. Yeah, it was like an ex- express expedited Given that any, procedure. Any trial that happens in Argentina within about seven years of the crime being allegedly committed mm. is is quick. And this I think is they taken guilt. two weeks or something. Yeah, a week really. Yeah, uh, less like five days because it was last Wednesday that they were first detained by police and they've already um, pled guilty and been sentenced. I mean, it's almost suspicious this the speed with which Argentine justice has acted on this. I think just the depth of their guilt was so under overwhelming that there was no chance of uh, getting away with it. So basically, um, yeah, sure, but I mean, you could say that about the dictatorship, and they still took them. 30 years to put some of them on trial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the punishment for these guys is a little... Um, a little slightly more lenient. Yeah, and well, probably well, right, so. Slightly yeah. proportionate, I'm sure, but uh, yes. their, their crimes are slightly less serious. Yeah. Um, Horacio Darras, I believe the vice president's name, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the first name, but the second name was Paniagua. Uh, they have both pled guilty to aiding the formation of groups uh, who commit crimes at sporting events. This is a crime under Argentine statutes. Uh, a bit of a, um, <laughs> bit of um, that, that's news to me meal. and presumably to almost every football administrator in the country. Most probably, because yeah. I don't understand how they're not all in jail. If that's the case, yeah. they pled guilty. They've been fined. Uh, they resign their post at Colón and they cannot hold another post at a football club or any sporting institution for, uh, I think, seven years in the case of one, five years in the case of another. And Colón responded to this with just the most bare-faced statement saying, ah, now we hope that the AFA will do everything they can to help us um, identify these elements and make sure that nothing like this ever happens again, as if None of the other directors and no one else on the board was aware that these two guys were um, were giving the uh, barra tickets. They were giving them 
uh, merchandise to then sell on or give to their members. Yeah. They, were give, they were paying him a salary for fuck's sake. Yeah, uh, which is... With no visible, um, you know, uh, quid pro quo. Which is something that happens at probably pretty much every club whose president and or board of directors yeah. don't explicitly say that they're waging war with the Ballarats. Yeah, uh, it was really like the most then, like, you know. the most blatant display of hand washing since the early days of the the COVID pandemic. Mm. Um, Very good. I thought that was alright. Yeah, uh, and you got to believe a few, um, quite a few other directors now have I uh, got quite sweaty arses because you can't believe that these two guys from Cologne were the only ones. Uh, on the tape like this or I've, I've with contacts. Complimenting you on one image to being horrified by the one you immediately <laughs> followed up by. Um, shall we go on to Lister's questions on that? Yes. So, uh, let's just sum up. Good to see some sort of justice. Indeed. Yes. Uh, but it's not enough. It's highly selective. And, yes. Uh, only in this one case. Darren Paul says, I see nonsense handballs are still to be still being called even with VAR. Will it ever end? Um, now, given that Dan, Darren's a Racing fan, I'm wondering whether he disagrees with the handball in the defensive of Thysia match yesterday. Or... I didn't see anything wrong with that one. No, nor did I. That's no. why I'm wondering. Um, I assume so. And usually, Darren, I'd be, you know, I'd, um, I'd agree with you. I think a lot of the handballs, although it's got a bit better now recently, right? Because there's been new directives, at least in some leagues, to kind of narrow down what is a handball and what isn't. Yes. Um, Possibly. I, I'll, I'll admit, I don't pay an awful lot of attention. As uh, very regular listeners might be aware, I pretty much, outside Argentina, my, the only exposure I really have to football is that I watch Man United games. And now, this season, when I can, I've started watching Benfica's matches to yeah. watch Enzo Fernandes, uh, as I did on Wednesday against PSG. So yeah, he played well, right? He did. He yeah. he he sent in the cross from which uh, the own goal was scored. That was Benfica's equaliser. So if and I think, I think that if the PSG defender hadn't sort of brushed it with his chest, it would have yeah. probably gone in at the far post anyway, and Enzo yeah. would have been credited with his first. No, second Champions League. Second Champions League. Obviously scored one on his debut, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much my the limit of my exposure to foreign football. Um, so, I don't know. But, I think uh, that has been the case. Um, probably it could go a little bit further. Um, from, from what I see of, of, of Argentina, I think that... I think a lot of the, the VAR guidelines here are relatively sensible. Mm. It just takes them bloody forever to do the checks yeah <laughs> that is a big problem of course and and I, I like and some of them lots of them are ones where when you're watching it on the telly and they show the replay you immediately go oh he's onside that's fine mm-hmm. yeah just uh, but then they still spend an extra five minutes looking at every angle before announcing it's offside anyway yeah it's that kind of doing it for the sake of doing it that mm. yeah um if anything Racing's equalizer was probably more controversial in my eyes because i couldn't have had any argument if that was called offside, it was level, was maybe time, yeah, with yeah. a knee hmm. ahead. Um, I hate VAR, but I'd be loath to put the blame on VAR. Uh, it seems like you know both handball and offside of are um, subject to kind of quite strict interpretations at the moment, which I don't think um, is uh, is conducive to. To you know, good football. 
It's not conducive um, to quick decisions, and especially and quick with, some, decisions. with something like like offside as well, which is either you know, handball is interpretation to an extent, right? The referee has to decide, oh, did he mean to do that? Is the hand in an unnatural position or is it not? Yeah. Offside is either offside or it's not offside. And that has always been the case. It's yeah. either it is or it isn't. But now that we have VAR, you're able to draw the line to such an infinitesimally small yeah. and accurate degree. That you have that to decide if the guy's elbow is off or his yeah. nose or his knee. or And you end up oh, with God, decisions that, that are... In the you know to the letter of the law are correct, but then at the same time that's not why the offside you know you end up disallowing goals that mm. there wasn't really anything wrong with, and that wasn't why the offside rule was uh, brought about. And yet you do have to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. So even when people say, "Oh, we should go back to having daylight," right? But then you still have to decide how much daylight. How is much okay. daylight? Yeah. All you're doing is moving. It's going to be the crack of dawn, full midday sun. You're always going to get some decisions that are going to take forever to, to choose, unfortunately. Um, Lawrence Hart says is it possible for Racing he's got two questions so the first I'll ask them separately is it possible for Racing not to be involved in a thriller at the moment apparently not the last three games have been absolute nail biters yeah Um, I'd like them to Um, it would be great if Monday's game against Atletico could just be a run by uh, run by the numbers 2-0 win goal in each half Gabriel Arias doesn't have to field a shot but I certainly wouldn't put my house on it. Mm. Yeah, given how they're playing against all of the teams who aren't top of the league mm. and very much in the title race, uh, I'd be surprised if that's what happens, but we'll see. Um, and Lawrence's other question is, is that combination pink, yellow and green kit that Defensa Justicia play in the worst kit in Argentine football at the moment? I'm glad Lawrence has asked this, <laughs> because when I turned over to the match yesterday, my, yes, first, turn the contrast, yeah. my first thought was, ooh, that's not good. Um, I very much like pink. I'm a big fan of it as a colour. But I don't think it goes in particular with the yellow on the Defensive Odysseus kit. And I also don't think that the fade that they've got on that shirt, where it's quite a bright pink at the top and Mm. sort of fades to... Is it green at the bottom to fade into the shorts almost? I think so, yeah. It's just the gradient is is awful. They should just go for solid colours. And yeah, pink and yellow, they don't combine. No, it's it's they're, more they're of a refreshers packet. It's, than, still just, it's more of a refreshers packet than David Seaman's famous refreshers packet yeah. goalkeeping jersey, which didn't really have any because it didn't have pink. So if it was solid pink shirt, green shorts, and then either pink or green socks, I think it would work okay. But yeah. the the, it, the the bringing the yellow into it, which obviously it's one of the club colours, mm. so I can understand why it's been done, but it doesn't work at all. It doesn't. Uh, and Rob Fitzpatrick says, so many coaches on shaky ground at the moment. Lanús, Beles, maybe. Who would you say are some of the promising young coaches in and around, football cliche alert, mm. the league? Is there an Argentine Nagelsmann to step up? I'm glad you mentioned around because there is one guy we haven't mentioned. Uh, Martin Anselmi. Who he, Dan? He is the coach none of us had ever heard of who is now the toast of the tiny part of Quito which follows Independiente del Valle because he delivered... Their um their second Copa Sudamericana win with a win over none other than mighty San Paolo. Yeah, in I was a completely empty Estadio Mario Kempis. In it was, oh, of course it was in Argentina, wasn't yeah. it? I completely forgot this match was taking place until Sofa Score showed me the match starts in thirty minutes notification on yeah. my phone at half past four on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, uh hmm. 
Copa Sudamericana finals yeah. on in half an hour. Should I watch this? And I decided not to. Indeed. Um, and yeah, he's only 37. He spent a couple of years as an assistant. He was youth coach at Excursionistas, uh, part of Gabriel Melito's backroom team in Independiente, had a run as. Um, as a, an assistant at Atlanta, then he spent some time abroad as always as like assistant or backroom member at Universidad Católica in Chile, Peru's Real Garcilaso. Um, then he joined the Paniente del Valle as Miguel Ángel Ramírez's assistant. Uh-huh. So he, this is actually his second Copa Sudamericana win. Yes, because Ramirez was the Spaniard under the Spaniards, they won yes. their first one, yeah. Um, he only got his first ever proper management coaching job this year, where he took over um, Union La Calera in Chile, lasted 11 games, got sacked, and then turned up in Independiente Levashi and is a continental champion. Wow. The first... Argentine to win such a trophy since Gachardo. Yeah. No, uh, Hernán Crespo, sorry. He won the 2021 Sudamericano with Defensive Justicia. Of course he did, yeah. Yes. But, of course, Anselmi is not quite as well known as Hernán Crespo. No. Arguably. Uh, No, indeed. So, well done, Martín Anselmi. Although he's only 37, which is younger than me, he's... Probably got another half who is older than Hernan Crespo's new girlfriend. <laughs> possibly. She's, I couldn't possibly comment. On, on the one hand, she's very much an adult. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, he's, what, 55 or something? And 29-year-old girlfriend is a bit creepy. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, but anyway, moving so, on from judging people for going out <laughs> with other adults in a consenting relationship. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned Gachardo because... Uh, it looks like River might be about to renew his contract again. Again? A week after, we asked whether, you know, we, we've been asking yeah. for the last month or two now, is this going to be Gachardo's last campaign? Yeah. Everybody has been asking every year for the last seven the last years, five whether years this yeah. is going to be Gachardo's last campaign. And it looks as though they're going to re- give him a new contract to 2025, which would take wow. him to 11 years in charge. Jeez. Which, can you imagine when he took over? What, who do you compare that with? No, you can't compare it to anyone, yeah, when, at when least he, in Argentina. In 2014, when he took the River job, uh, you had like managers who'd been in charge for four years, unironically being called the Argentine Ferguson yes. by, by headline writers rather than by... And then probably getting sacked. Probably. You know, and like 11 years in charge of arguably the biggest club in the country yeah. would be... Amazing. No, no, you just... It's impossible to imagine, impossible to... To predict. It's, it's partly a gamble uh, on the part of the current directorship who are going to be up for re-election at some point. I can't remember exactly whether it was last elections were. Last Two year, I think. Last year? Yeah. Okay, right. So it might be to take it through to the, the end of their mandate mm-hmm. and presumably as well to bring about the possibility of some compensation for River yeah. if another if a European club comes in for him. Um, but yeah, it looks as if, you know, we haven't had any listeners' questions about whether this is the end for Gachardo this week. Mm-hmm. Um but since we haven't had any, it was a chance to just point out that, um, yeah, it might once again, <laughs> rumours of his leaving River have been greatly exaggerated. Yes. Other um, young coaches, Gago, of course, is um, mm-hmm. scoring goals at least. Yeah. 
And also conceding a few. But, uh, also conceding a few. Um, who's the youngster in charge of Atletico Tucumán at the moment? Lucas Pusineri is in charge of Atletico Tucumán. Yeah, probably. Independiente favourite, then hated. Slightly, I mean, obviously, from my point of view, that was a rhetorical question, but it, I, also just to make the point that, um, in spite of the fact that his team have been top of the league, it feels like the first time we've mentioned him by name all season. Very possibly, yeah. Uh, apart from that, there's been, a, I, think that, I get the feeling there's been a couple of young coaches who haven't really managed to, uh, to come through this year. I don't know if I can name any off the top of my head. Uh, well, Dan's trying to think of those names. Uh, full-time score here. Huracan have beaten Tacheres 1-0, which means that as the table now stands, Huracan are fourth with 40 points, four points off the mm. lead. Uh, in the other match, Argentinos Juniors are 4-0 up away to Lanús with seven minutes left. So, yeah, we'll keep you up to date with that one. Um, have you got those names for us, Dan? No, it's a couple, not particularly young. Um, Diego Martinez, who I mentioned recently um, earlier as a possible Contender candidate for, for the Independiente job, is 43. Oh, okay, I thought you were going to say candidate for title of most generic Argentine name. Happened. I mean, it's just, yeah, classic um, Hispanosphere uh, name, yeah. yeah. Um, James Martins. James Martins. Uh, apart from that, yeah, Hugo Ibarra, if he can come through, but we all know what the second year is like for Boca coaches at the moment. None of them are, yeah. are making it out of their second season. Uh, Tevez, would he come as the young Argentine manager? I mean... I mean, the promising part would be difficult. Yeah, he's still in a job, which would have mm. surprised us a couple of weeks ago, perhaps. Um, but, yeah, Central... Trying to remember what they've done. Oh, they've just drawn two matches, haven't they, since we last yes. recorded. Who's that against? <laughs> yeah, well, not... They, they drew... SofaScore is showing here that they drew against Argentino de Rosario in the Copa Santa Fe. Ah. I'm not sure why it's showing that as a first-team match. Uh, they drew against Union on, on Monday. That's played the Friday and the Monday for some reason. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yes, of course, yes. Yeah, they, they, they lost to, your, to, to Racing yeah. on Friday. and then yeah. Um, I feel like we did have some good young coaches going through, but they seem to all have disappeared. Hmm. Um, on abroad. Possibly. Speaking of which, San Paoli back at I was just about to say, yeah. I don't know. I mean, he still acts like an overgrown kid, but I think he's <laughs> quite old now. Indeed, yeah. He must be pushing 60 by now. You think so? Anyway. Uh, Defensa Justicia. Oh, Becca Sissi left Defensa Justicia. That might have happened ages ago. But... <laughs> I have a feeling that happened at the, quite near the start of the season. Very possibly. Anyway, uh, shall we move on to Mystic Sam? Mm-hmm. Here's Mystic Sam. Okay, I'm not going to predict Team Nasia versus Boca because that will, of course, have already happened by the time you hear this. So instead, we're going to go for round 24, which kicks off on the 8th of October, which is Saturday, because we've got a midweek round now. There are no Friday matches this week. Um, Barracas Central versus San Remiento, I think, will be a draw. Um, 
I think that Belles will get an away win over San Lorenzo in a fixture that I think most Belles fans would class as a classical, and most San Lorenzo fans would pointedly refuse to class as a classical. Union versus Arsenal is also a draw. Um, Platense versus Colón. Interesting. I'm going to go for a Platense win in that one, I think. Tigre versus Independiente. I think will be... I mean, pretty much the whole table between about 7th and about 23rd feels like one big mid-table mush at the moment, so I'm having yeah. difficulty differentiating this. Uh, but I'm going to go for an Independiente win in that one. Tacheres versus Godoy Cruz will be a draw. Banfield versus Gimnasia, I think, will be a Banfield win. Boca versus Aldo Civi will be a 1-0 win for Boca, and the goal will be scored by somebody we've never heard of. Yeah. Patronato versus River will be a River win. Just realised that River scored eight goals without reply, and we barely talked about them this week. Um, because they're not really playing for anything. No, problem. but they have suddenly clicked into quite a bit of form. Too late. And Quintero is brilliant in the last two. This is true. As well. uh, Rosario Central versus Defensa Injusticia, I think, is going to be a Defensa win. Argentinos versus Huracan looks very much like it's going to be a match between the two teams who've won matches while we've been recording this episode. Um, I think that Argentinos will win it. Racing versus Atletico Tucumán is going to be an Atletico Tucumán win, I think. Do you want to do an over-under on goals? Uh, definitely over 2.5. Because Atletico don't tend to have many goals in their games. No, but true, but... No, I'm going to go for, for high, I think. Estudiantes versus Lanús um, is an Estudiantes win. Possibly not a particularly pretty one. And Central Cordoba versus Newell's Old Boys is going to be a Newell's win. Even after everything I said about Central Cordoba. Yeah. Being on a roll. Especially after everything yeah. you said about Central Cordoba. What did you say about Central Cordoba? That they've won like five of the last six games. Oh, they have. Really oh, shit, yeah. What am I talking about? So, yeah. No. <laughs> Let's go for a Central Cordoba win in that one, actually. Because New Orleans uh, mm. have not won four of the last five games. Becca says he resigned on September the 11th. Which is why I missed it. Because I was far away. That does explain that. Yeah, nearly a month ago. But mm-hmm. not quite, yeah. Um, anything else to add? Uh, I feel like we skipped over San Lorenzo's heroic Clásico del Barrio victory. Oh, course, um, yeah. I don't know if there's much to say other than that. It put a real dent in Huracan's championship pretensions, which yes. was probably probably made it all the sweeter for San Lorenzo. Yeah, a very early goal from Ezequiel Cerruti, three mm. minutes in, and then... Uh, not a hell of a lot happened. No, I think we said last week, you can probably set your house on a nil-nil draw for that game, and it was a nil-nil draw with a really early goal at the start. Well, Rakan had some quite heavy pressure during like the the first half of the second half, if that makes sense, and apart Mm -hmm. from that, I don't think it was an awful lot else to report. Uh, There is another midweek round next week, by the way. So Is it? Yes. uh, Matches end on the 10th, which is... Monday. Monday. And then there's no football on the on Tuesday, but there is a midweek round of games according to Sofa Score anyway. But it doesn't seem to have been scheduled yet. It's got the the date here is the tenth of October, which would be next Wednesday. No, it'd be next Monday. I wonder whether they've 
called this off? The 10th of October is a Monday, sir. Is it? Yes. Well, if today's Thursday the 6th, Mm-hmm. 7th, 8th, 9th. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what's going but on? But yes, there is on Wednesday, Wednesday the 12th. The 12th. Hmm. Uh, Wednesday the 12th, 13th, and 14th. So the midweek. It's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then and the weekend fixture is Sunday, Sunday Monday, Tuesday. Monday, Tuesday. God alive. Okay. To um, finish everything on the 23rd of October. So we're going to be recording right, if we record next week, we'll be recording right in the middle of a round of games. It might make, I know we said this last week, but it might actually make sense to have a week off next week in that case. Um, and leave it for next, the other Wednesday, which would be the 19th. Well, I've got the, the full match schedule in front of me, because as I said at the mm. moment, I'm just looking at a bunch of games that apparently are all scheduled to take place on Wednesday at 5pm. Um, well, we know what order we, we're recording in. Uh, the matches are being played in, sorry, I'll make up my mind about whether we record an episode next week. So if you hear from us next week, it will be because we can actually update you on things. Uh, but if you don't, then it will probably be because Atletico Tucumán or Boca or Racing um, or Huracan are playing on the Friday or something like that. And it doesn't make sense for us to record before that. Uh, we'll see, basically. But for now, thank you very much indeed for listening, and goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye. And, by the way, the full-time whistle has gone in Lanús, and it was a 4-0 win to Argentinos. And from me, thank you and goodbye. Hello, I've just got back from Dan's, and uh, turns out I don't have a full-time score to report to you from Gimnasia versus Boca and I won't do tonight because the match has been called off nine minutes into the first half um, apparently Gimnasia sold more tickets for the terraces than they had capacity for and when more people turned up on the basis that they had tickets the police uh, not for the first time in Argentine history massively overreacted and shot out so much tear gas that it has engulfed the entire stadium and has caused the match to be suspended so watch this space but for the moment the standings remain as we describe them during the podcast.